You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. We're in Daniel 9. And if you know anything about Daniel 9, you know that, that that's got some of the, the most controversial of his uh, prophecies. And we're not going there yet. Uh, that comes at the end of Daniel 9. We're going to look at the first part of Daniel 9, which isn't looked at as often as the prophecies, but it actually is one of the most famous prayers uh, in all of the Bible. And uh, Daniel's prayer here is, is really instructive for us uh, at m- many different levels. So yeah, the text is Daniel 9, 1 through 19. It's a long text. Have you stay seated. Um, and uh, I'm going to, uh, I'll, I'll read it. It's Daniel 9, starting at verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws which he set before us by his servants the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we've sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there's not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he's done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. 
O Lord, according to all your righteous acts. Let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. This is God's word. Let's pray again. Father, we pray as we look at this prayer together that you will instruct us and convict us and encourage us in greater godliness for the sake of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, think about it. What's your default response when something, you're facing something that's really troubling you, really troubling you. Maybe it's, uh, maybe you're regretting some things in your past. Uh, Perhaps you're facing some immediate problem in the present that is overwhelming you. You don't know what to do, don't know how to fix it. Maybe you're facing uh, a real dark and uncertain future. I can tell you what my default response is when, uh, when I'm confronted with those sorts of things. Uh, and it usually involves fretting and fearing. Uh, because what I'm doing is, pretty much all I'm doing is thinking about what I can do. You know, what can I do to fix this? What, what, what can I do to solve it? What can I, you know, what assets do I have that I can bring to bear on on this problem. Uh, Sometimes while I'm doing that, I will engage in self-condemnation. I'll beat myself up, especially if I think I've contributed to the problem. Yeah, Ted, you idiot. You wouldn't be doing this if you hadn't done that, right? Um, Sometimes I'll get resentful uh, at other people uh, or other situations that have contributed to whatever uh, I'm facing. I hope you can relate at some level to what I've just said. And, And this is where Daniel becomes really practical and helpful. If you were here a couple of weeks ago when we were last in Daniel, we were in Daniel 8, and, and you'll remember in Daniel 8, he had, Dan, Daniel had just received a vision from God uh, of telling him the future, and that vision was so troubling and so confusing and so frightening that it really overwhelmed Daniel and didn't know what to do with it. And it, it so overwhelmed him, he became sick, said he was appalled, he was confused, um, and again, at some level, I think we can all relate to, to, to being overwhelmed by, you know, situations or, or problems, uh, just like Daniel was here. But, but look at Daniel's response. The first part of it we talked about two weeks ago when we were in Daniel 8. One of the things, one of the first things he does is he goes back to work, right? He, he doesn't uh, escape to a mountaintop. He doesn't, 
you know, curl up in his bed in the fetal position, um, though he may have felt like it. Uh, he, he doesn't complain. Uh, uh, he, he gets up and goes to work. He goes back to where the Lord has placed him and starts doing the work that the Lord uh, has given him. Um, and, and we talked about that two weeks ago. Uh, and now here in chapter nine, we, we, we learn something else that he does. In verse two, it says, he goes to the books. Now in his day, it may have more, may more accurately been said to the scrolls, uh, but he goes to the books, and, and that's me, the scriptures. He's, he, he goes to the scriptures. He's trying to figure things out. And where does he go? Not to himself, but to the scriptures. And, and then in verse 3, uh, the scriptures lead him to pray. Now, what's, what's going on, right? Well, he's, he's trying to figure out this vision. He's consulting the prophets, and he's reading Jeremiah. And you, we can read the very same texts that he, he read. We won't do it. We don't have time. Uh, but he learns fr from his study of Jeremiah that, hey, we're, this exile that we're in right now is going to last 70 years. And, and he looks at his uh, you know, sundial, whatever he had, and says, it's been, it's been almost 70 years. Uh, the exile is, God has promised this exile is about to end and we've got a real problem because we haven't learned anything, right? We're still, you know, we're in exile because we've sinned and we're still sinning. How are we going to go back uh, to Israel? How are we going to restore Jerusalem if we're, if we're still, uh, you know, just openly sinning and openly disobedient uh, to the Lord. That's what he's, yeah, that's, you know, what's, what's driving this prayer. And by the way, friends, word and prayer always go together, right? Don't, we, we, we talk about these disciplines of, you know, scripture reading and uh, you know, studying scripture, meditating on scripture, listening to scripture preached. Um, but it, it should never, that discipline should never be separated from the discipline of prayer, Right, uh, because word and prayer really are are two parts of a dialogue between you and God. Right, God speaks to you primarily through His written down word, uh, whether you're reading that or meditating on it, or whether you are uh, hearing it preached, uh, and then and then you responding to God speaking to you through His word. Then you pray, you pray back to Him. Right, it's a dialogue. So, what can you and I learn from Daniel? Uh, that will help you respond to the darkness of your own past, present, and future with word and prayer instead of, like me, with fear and uh, fretting and self-condemnation and resentment. Let's, let's, I want to look at three principles that emerge from this prayer uh, that I think will help you and me confront our issues that may not be exactly like Daniel's, but you know, these, these confusing, frightening, troubling things, to confront them with word and prayer uh, instead of with fear. Principle number one, we need to remember that word and prayer are the only things that have the power to explode the illusion of your control and your self-sufficiency while opening you up to the reality of God's control and God's sufficiency. 
To get that God's word and prayer just shatter our illusions that we're in control, uh, uh, that, that we're sufficient, uh, and, but they open us up to the reality of God's control and sufficiency. God's word is sort of like the red pill that Morpheus gave to Neo. Some of you are, you get that reference. That's from the movie The Matrix, right? When Morpheus, uh, Morpheus uh, offered Neo two pills, right? A, a, a blue pill and a red pill. And if he took the blue pill, he would continue living in, in an illusion that he was in. Uh, right? They, they, they was, he was in a world that had been uh, where, where everybody was living in, in machine-generated illusion, didn't know it. Right? Uh, if he took the red pill, uh, he would be able to, you know, that illusion would be exploded and he would be able to see through the illusion and deal with the deeper reality behind what he was actually seeing and experiencing. It's a fascinating premise. Well, that's exactly what the scriptures do. The scriptures have that same kind of red pill power, only it's real. Right, it, it, you know, it's think about our, our kind of the illusory state we often walk around in. Right, it's easy for us to think um, that life is uh, sort of primarily about us, uh, about it, that life, that my 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 effort should be primarily about maximizing my own happiness. It's easy for us to live by sight, right, rather than by faith. That is to to look around and make decisions, make calculations about what's possible, what's not possible, what's wise, what's not wise, but, but, and by, only by reference to what you see. Uh, and, uh, and maybe by, or here, like, you know, you, you'll, you'll listen to the wisdom of, you know, the world's talking heads. Um, but that's an illusion. That's really illusory. What the scriptures do is pull back the curtain on a whole other dimension of reality that we would otherwise miss, right? God's kingdom. God himself. God shows us uh, in his word who he is, what he's like, what he requires of his people in the law. Um, and when we're confronted with those realities, what that does is it, it, there's just, it will happen, right? If, if you really bring yourself up against God's word, and as Daniel did here, you know, and brought himself up against, and his people up against God's law, it's gonna lead you to prayer. Uh, and, and, so, so, and, and that prayer is marked by two things. Daniel's prayer is marked by two things, and I think our prayers should be marked by two things, and those two things are humility and confession. All right. Both a lot of that, both of those things going on here, right? You, you see the humility. Uh, I get, I suppose, first in verse three, because you you know you, you we're told that Daniel um, is is praying dressed in sackcloth and, and, and sitting in ashes, uh, which was culturally the way you expressed humility uh, before, before uh, God. Uh, you, see, you see the humility in Daniel's recognition that it's God who is in control of history, not us, right? It was God who brought them out of slavery in Egypt by his mighty hand, 
right? Verse 15. It was God who brought the calamity of the, of the exile upon Israel. Because of, what they, because of their sin, God brought the exile upon them. And he was right in doing so, says Daniel. See, that, that, that's, that's humility. And then out of this humility, of course, comes confession. And you, but you certainly heard it, right? This whole prayer is, is a running confession, really, from verses 5 to 16. Uh, Daniel is it, it, piling on. Right, the different different ways to say essentially the same thing. Right, he's confessing sin and asking for forgiveness. Uh, and you, you, you've seen, you saw the words. Right, we've sinned, we've done wrong, we've acted wickedly, we've rebelled, we've turned aside, we've not listened, we've committed treachery, we deserve open shame, we've transgressed, we've refused to obey. I don't know about you, my non-Christian, my unbelieving friends don't get this at all. And, and when I've had opportunities to, to talk with uh, my unbelieving friends about the faith and about my, you know, my, the exercise of my spirituality, right? Um, they'll always say something like, Ted, you know, you're way too radically committed. I mean, you're just kind of out of hand here. Just your, your commitment to God is sort of it's kind of scary radical. And, and, and because of that, you are waking, making way too much of what you call sin. Because, Ted, take it from me, your good friend, you are a good person. And so am I. So are we all. We're, we're good people. So just chill, would you, Ted? Come on. Get off the sin wagon. Well, you see, my, and you may have had friends say something like that to you. Uh, I have. They would never talk like Daniel here. Never. Um, why? Well, because humility before God, right? Recognizing that there is a God high and lifted up and, and we are not him. Uh, recognizing that he's in control, not us. Recognizing that even our, on, on our best days, we aren't coming close to measuring up to what God, uh, requi what God possesses and what God requires. That's the hallmark of the Christian. If, if, if humanity is your highest reality, if, you, if you're basically judging the world by, as if human beings were the highest reality, uh, and most of my unbelieving friends do that in one way or another, uh, you're not going to be a person who is marked by a lot of humility, and, and you're certainly not going to be a person marked by confession. Who do you get to confess to? Right? You're a good person. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, if, if, if humanity is your highest reality, uh, you're missing the most important part of reality. Uh, and you're missing access to the power that you need to, to confront, you know, life, to deal with life. Uh, a power that we ourselves don't possess, but a power that God does possess. 
But it's, but it's only as, 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 you know, as we encounter God as believers through word and prayer do we, do we, are we to see this kind of, will, will we have that kind of access to power? So that's the first principle, okay? Um, second principle. Um, your sin, if it goes unacknowledged and unconfessed, will obstruct your relationship with the Lord. Your sin, if, if it goes unacknowledged and unconfessed, will obstruct your relationship with the Lord. Now understand here, okay, I'm not talking about salvation. Let me talk to the Christians here. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not saying, uh, you know, oh, we've got, you know, if you die with unconfessed sin, you're going to, you know, you're not saved or, or that you're saved on your good days, but then you've sinned and now you're in a bad day and you're not saved anymore and you got to get re-saved, right? That's, think of it in human terms, okay? Um, when, when I have a disagreement with Linda, I don't know, once a year, um, and in the course of that disagreement, I sin against Linda. Say I get angry uh, and say things to Linda that I should, should not have said. Um, that's a sin. And, and I've sinned against Linda. And by that sin, by my sin against Linda, I create a breach. I create an obstruction in our relationship. It doesn't end the relationship, right? We are still husband and wife. We still are clinging to the covenant promise, promises of marriage. We still love one another, even though at the moment it probably doesn't feel like it. But the closeness of our relationship, the intimacy of our relationship, right, the freedom in our relationship is obstructed by that sin, right? And I, you, can, you see that, I, can, I experience it in the awkward silences that you could cut with a knife, right? Or the one-word answers that I'm getting. Uh, or just the, sort of the general kind of emotional flatness or tension in, in our, you know, in dealing with each other. And it's not until I man up and, 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 conf- and go to Linda and acknowledge and confess my sin that that obstruction gets cleared, right? We're, again, right? It's not the end of the relationship. It's, it's, it's about the intimacy, the closeness, the, right, the effectiveness of our relationship. Um, the deep truth here that, that Daniel reveals in his prayer is that sin is not fundamentally rule-based. It's fundamentally relationship-based, right? We tend to think of sin as breaking a rule, um, but, the, but sin is not an imp- the impersonal act of breaking a rule. It is the undermining of a personal relationship. That's what makes it so so, so uh, significant and so difficult, right? Adam and Eve broke God's command and the, what's the first thing they do, right? They cover up and, and, and hide from God, right? And from each other. Is the relationship ended? No, but there's a, there's a, there's a, a distance was created uh, by their sin, that close fellowship that, 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 that he had, 
that Adam and Eve had enjoyed was, was interrupted by their sin. David breaks God's command not to commit adultery and tries to keep it a secret, right? Uh, and uh, that doesn't go well for him, right? It, 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 and, and, we, and we know that from Psalm 32 when, when he says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. For day and night, your hand, Lord, was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up. Was, David hadn't lost his salvation. David was still king of Israel. David was still a man after God's own heart. But there he had sinned, and he hadn't gone to the Lord and confessed it and, and, and faced it. Um, and, and it interrupted that intimacy of his relationship. And, and, and that's what's happening here uh, as Daniel uh, pr prays for himself and for Israel. He, he's recognizing that sin is personal, sin is relational. Don't just think of it as rule breaking. If you look at verses 10, 11, and 14, Daniel makes it clear that sin isn't just making a rule. How does he put it? It's not obeying the voice of the Lord. That's, that's important language. He could have said, you guys broke the rule. But he said, no, what you didn't do is you heard and you didn't obey the voice of the master who loves you. And then also in verse 11, he makes it clear that when we break God's law, we don't sin against the law, we sin against God himself. It's personal, right? We don't just offend the law when we break it, we offend the Lord. So you've heard it before, right? It's a bumper sticker, it used to be a bumper sticker anyway. If God feels far away from you, guess who moved? Uh, right, it's, 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 it's you and I who have moved. Um, so to face our challenges with, with, with faith and not fear, um, you know, we need the Lord and we need to hear from the Lord. Uh, and that means we need to be like Daniel here in, in that we need to be people of the word because that's how we hear from him. Uh, and then we need to let that word uh, work in us and, and, and minimally produce in us that Christ-like humility and, 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 and a sinner's confession, right? So that our bones, our spiritual bones don't waste away. So, don't we, so that we don't feel the heavy hand uh, of the Lord upon us. So that's the second one. Um, we've got, sorry, lost my place here. The first principle was, right, that word and prayer are the only things that have the power to break our illusions of self-sufficiency and control and, and are the only things that open us up to the reality of God's sufficiency, God's control. Uh, we, we've seen that sin unconfessed will, will, will obstruct our relationship with the Lord. So, so, we, so we go to word and prayer to, 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 um, to you know, to br bring back that, that, that uh, restore that intimacy and closeness. And then the third and final principle, uh, and this is the most important one, your, your access to God, your access to God and to all his benefits uh, 
is never based on your sinlessness. It's based on the sinlessness of Jesus. Yes. Um, this, this is the principle that gives you the confidence to pray and to know when you pray that God is hearing you, God will forgive you, God will act on your behalf, that God will keep his promises toward you. Uh, there's something here that's easy to miss in this prayer, and I don't, I don't want you to miss it. Um, you know, for eight chapters now, we've been going through Daniel, and we've seen what an amazing spiritual saint Daniel is, right? I mean, he's so good and he's so exemplary that, you know, it's very tempting to preach Daniel as to, and just hold him up as an example and, and for me to up here and pound the pulpit and say, you know, you need to be like Daniel. Um, you, you know, he, but, but, you know, it's understandable because that's what we've seen. He's, he's, been, he's been faithful, he's been obedient, even to the point of death, Right? Uh, he would not back off his obedience to the Lord even if it meant being thrown into the lion's den, which uh, for all he knew was sure death, uh, even though the Lord preserved him. Uh, and yet now, here in chapter nine, right, you, what, what do you hear Daniel doing? I mean, he's not doing what you'd expect a prophet to do, right? Prophets are sometimes called God's prosecutors, Right, that, that, they, that, that, that the prophets of God are sent by God as sort of assistant DAs, right? And, and, and they're prosecuting the, loss, the, you know, the lawsuit against God's people for their law-breaking. And the, and, the, and, and the prophets are often like, like a, a prosecutor, you know, pointing the finger, you have broken God's law. Uh, but Daniel doesn't do that. And you go, what do you mean? I mean, it's, it sounds like he went on for, for a page, you know, uh, t telling them how they've broken the law. But no, what he did was include himself in it. The pronouns here are immensely important. Uh, he, 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 um, what he does in this prayer is choose solidarity with the rebels. He wasn't a rebel. Uh, and, and, and he could have easily pointed his finger at all kinds of people, all kinds of Israelites around him uh, in, in exile who had not been obedient, who had not been faithful. And he said, Lord, you know, the, you, know you know I'm not like them, right? Uh, but that's not what he did. He, he chose solidarity. He claims their sin as his own. And, and you know, of course he wasn't sinless. Uh, but um, this whole prayer, th throughout this whole prayer, when he confesses, it's we, it's us, it's ours, right? He stands with sinners, speaks for them, owns their own sin. And now what makes that significant and, uh, and beautiful is what it points forward to because you have one like Daniel, but, but much greater than Daniel. Um, uh, and his name is Jesus, and he really is sinless. Uh, and yet Jesus, uh, in, in, in the spirit of Daniel, steps up and owns the sin and the guilt and the shame that isn't his. It's yours, it's mine. But Jesus stands in solidarity with us and says, 
I'm, I am with them. Their sin, your sin is mine, Jesus says. Isaiah 53, uh, verse 12 says of Jesus, he was numbered with the transgressors, right? He was included with us. Uh, that he bore the sins of many, that he now lives to make intercession for uh, the transgressors. That's good news. That's what Jesus has done and what he continues to do for you, which is why you can be assured, listen, believers, that you can be assured that when you, uh, that you will never, never be turned away from, uh, from the Lord when you come to the Lord in the name of Jesus, with the, with, with, the conf, with the confession of your sins on your lips and your requests for his mercy and his help in your time of need, he will never turn you away. Because it's not based on your sinlessness, it's based on the sinlessness of Jesus, right? The key phrase in Daniel's prayer, I think, is verse 18. Uh, for we do not present our pleas before, before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. There it is. And God's mercy is all wrapped up in Jesus. All right. As you believe in Jesus, your sins are forgiven, uh, and you are credited with his righteousness. So when you pray, believer, as messed up as you are, and, you know, and, and, Boy, I can hear, you know, I'm, I, I can, you know, certainly put myself in this prayer. Uh, as messed up as we are, we can still come to the Lord. And when we come to the Lord, we come as forgiven and carrying, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. It's hard to believe. But that's, that's what gives us access. Uh, that's why we're never turned away. Philip Yancey tells a story you know, he, he regards himself a journalist. And, and back in the 90s, he was covering President Clinton. And he was with a bunch of journalists uh, behind the ropes. And Clinton comes out. He's heading towards his limo. And all these journalists are, 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 are you know, pushing at the rope, shouting out questions to the president uh, and President uh, Clinton was politely ignoring them and just walked to, walking to his limo, gets in the limo. Well, Yancey shoulders his way through, gets up to the rope and shoves a letter into the hand of a Secret Service agent. He had received a personal letter from President Clinton uh, granting him a 90-minute uh, private interview. Uh, and, uh, and it was signed by President Clinton. The, the Secret Service agent looks at that, lifts the rope, Let's Yancey in, right? All, all the other journalists are going, hey, what's going on? You know, it must have been a wonderful moment for Yancey. Yeah. Face, gotcha. Uh, so he, you know, and, and he gets into the limo with the president. Uh, why? Because he had, he had leverage of the name, right? He had, a, he had a letter with the name of the president on it. Um, and, and that's what opened the door uh, of the limo. Well, because of what Jesus did, you, you, have the, you, you have leverage of the name, a much better name, right? A, a name above all names. You, you have uh, the name of the sin bearer, Jesus. Uh, that, you know, Yancey's leverage with the president lasted 90 minutes. 
you know, your leverage, as it were, right? Your access to God and his mercy and all of his benefits lasts in perpetuity, right? Uh, and, and, and you have it not because of anything you did or will do, uh, but because of what Jesus did. That's why it lasts in, pertu- in perpetuity. You have a lifetime pass to the Lord signed in the blood of Jesus, What a mercy, right? What a blessing. What an encouragement to dive into the word, to hear the Lord speak to us and turn around and speak back to him in complete confidence that he will hear uh, and act. Uh, May that encourage all of us in in our prayer, in our reading, in our humility, and in our confession and our God-honoring obedience. Amen? Lord, thank you for this prayer of Daniel. Um, Thank you for the respite before we get into the mysteries of prophecy again uh, as we move forward in Daniel. Um, We thank you, Lord, for um, your illusion-shattering reality. We thank you for the way you powerfully speak to us through your word. We thank you that because of Jesus, you hear our prayers and you will not turn us away when we come to you for mercy and your help in our time of need. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.